look at this great crowd today. It's good to see all of you here today. And I just want to echo what John said. If this is your first time, welcome. So glad that you are here. Big things happen around New Life right now. Probably none bigger than this. The stoplight's gone down at Reardon. <laughs> it just went away. So prayer works. I mean, it just... No, we were actually, uh, we, were get, we were trying to anticipate the, the clog we were going to have for our trunk or treat tomorrow night, which is right. So we thought, oh man, we're going to have a nightmare. We actually had hired a couple off-duty police officers just to man that down there to let more traffic come through, but the Lord just takes our burdens away, doesn't he? I mean, just, but speaking of tomorrow night, trunk or treat's happening, and if, uh, it's just going to, this, this building tomorrow is going to look completely different from six to eight. We're expecting about 2,000 or more people from our community coming through our building. We should probably change the name from Trunk or Treat to something else because there's not a trunk involved in any of this. You know, but it's, it's just an event that's kind of evolved over the last couple of years where we transformed this whole building. So people come in, they'll kind of walk through this room and they'll walk downstairs and they'll go through our student center and out the back we're going to stuff them full of hot dogs and nachos as they leave and, and hopefully put our best foot forward and everybody have a great, great first impression of our church. So thank you all of of you who have donated candy or you are setting up a, a, a booth, coming and dressed up as a costume. It's all about putting our best foot forward as a church. And believe it or not, every year there are people from our community that once they walk through our building, something triggers in their mind and said, you know, we should go to church, you know. Why don't we try that church that gave out all the candy? And so we're like, yeah, you know, yeah, hey, whatever it takes. So anyway, um, that's tomorrow. Uh, if you're, please be praying about it. Like I said, we all, we've got stories. God does neat things with it, but that's tomorrow. It should be a great thing. Hey, we are moving right along in our series called Rescued. We're studying our way through the book of Exodus, so please open your Bibles to Exodus chapter eight. That's where we're gonna be today. And I wanna let you know here at the front end of the sermon that we are gonna cover a lot of ground today. Three chapters, that's a lot of ground. Three chapters of the Bible. By the time we're done, we will have learned something about the first nine plagues that God sends on to the country of Egypt and on to Pharaoh. And just to kind of bring you back up to speed, God sent Moses to Egypt to do what? Rescue the Israelites, God's people. Why? Because they are in slavery. They are being mistreated horribly by Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And so Pharaoh goes, or Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh goes, I'm not gonna do it. And Moses like, yes, you are. You, you need to let my people go so we can go worship the Lord out in the wilderness. And Pharaoh's like, not gonna do it. And so Moses says, then God is gonna send plague after plague after plague onto your land until you do, until you relent. So what are these first nine plagues? I'm gonna have them up here on the screen behind me. What were they? We looked at the first one last week was the plague of the water turning to blood. And then you had the plague of the frogs. They're gonna follow that right after that. The plague of the frogs, nasty, nasty uh, plague. Then you have the gnats that came next. And then following the gnats, you have the plague of the flies, then the, which were, I think, were these nasty little biting flies. They were miserable for people. And then you had the, the disease on the livestock. And then you had the boils on the people. And then you had the hail and the locusts and the, the darkness. And then, of course, there was a final plague, which we will spend more time in the weeks ahead talking about that, that final plague. Some people might read that list behind me and they might say, ah, that's not so bad. What's a few frogs? And what's a few gnats? We've all dealt with flies before. We've all seen bad storms. Animals get sick. I mean, people get sick. What's so bad about that? Well, can I share with you something that somebody who lived through it actually said about it? In Exodus chapter 10, verse seven, one of, uh, some of Pharaoh's officials came to him 
And they said, how long will this man be a snare to us? Speaking of Moses, let the people go for crying out loud, Pharaoh. Let him go, let him go worship. And then they say, do you not yet realize that Egypt is ruined? It's a little blood, some frogs, some bugs and so forth. It devastated Egypt. The people that were there said, it's in ruins. Now, I strongly recommend that each of you read these three chapters that we're going to be studying today. It will take you 10 minutes or so to do that. And when you do, you're going to read all about these first nine plagues. And I'm just going to be honest with you, if, if I really wanted to, each one of these plagues is unique and interesting and awesome. And I could spend one entire sermon on each plague. That would not be that difficult. But can I just be up front with you? I don't want to. I don't want to take the next 10 weeks to walk through these plagues, and, 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 and especially when you can read it on your own. And, and here's why we're going to tackle nine of them all in one day. It's because every single one of these plagues, even though they are unique in and of themselves, they all accomplish the same thing. They're all intended to do the same thing, which is what? To bring judgment onto the Egyptians for their mistreatment of the Israel, Israelites. What else? They are to bring judgment on all the false gods of Egypt. And what else do these plagues do? They show the Egyptians, they show the Israelites, and everyone else now who's read Exodus, that the Lord is God, and he stands alone as the one true God. So each plague is unique, but each one serves the same purpose in the end. And so because of that, I think you can read it on your own and it allows me the freedom to summarize some large portions of scripture and, and, and move forward from there. So I want to just show you something, something that's very important for you to see at the very beginning here as we begin, begin to unpack these things is that each and every one of these plagues increases in intensity. So as we go from the first plague to the ninth plague, you're gonna, bo you're, gonna say, you're gonna see it. Man, these are getting worse and worse and worse. Let me show you how they break down. If you take the first three plagues, okay, and I'm gonna have them on the screen behind me, the first three plagues, they are considered um, a nuisance plague, okay? They're bad, but, but they're... <laughs> I love technology. They're more like, they'll get that up there in a minute. They'll, it's more distressful. So look at these first three plagues. The blood, the frogs, and the gnats. Yes, annoying. Yes, a burden. But I would say they're, they're distressful. That's the word that, that I would use for them. But then if you look at the second three plagues, they're not just distressful, but what are they? They are, awful, they are also painful and costly they get a little bit worse. And so we have this plague of the flies, which we're gonna talk about, and then the livestock. All the livestock gets sick and dies, and, and then you have all the people get sick. You gotta admit, that's a little bit worse than having a few frogs in your house. But then we go from plagues that were distressful, then you have three that were costly and painful, but then you look at the final four plagues, they are dangerous and they are destructive. Here you have this plague of hail, and this is a hailstorm that Egypt had never seen before, followed by the plague of locusts that came in and ate everything that was left. Then you have this plague of, of darkness, absolute darkness. We'll talk about that too today. And then there's this final plague that we're not going to talk about at all, but we're going to reserve several sermons moving forward just for this final plague, but the death of the firstborn. 
So with that distinction, I want you to see they grow, they grow worse and worse and worse. They intensify the more that God sends. With that, I'd like us to just begin unpacking this together. And we're just going to walk down through the text. The very first plague was God turning the Nile River into blood. And we spent a few minutes with this last week. What was the result of that? All the fish in the Nile River died and they washed up onto the shore. Not only that, uh, all the rivers and canals and reservoirs, they turned to blood as well. The drinking water was gone and everybody had to dig down deep and try to find some water. And there was not one false god that the Egyptians worshiped that could change it, that could undo anything. Seven days later, this happened. Exodus chapter eight, verse one, let's read it together. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and in your bedroom and onto your bed, into the houses of your officials and on your people and into your ovens and kneading troughs. The frogs will come up on you and your people and all your officials. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and canals and ponds and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same things by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Now, can I be honest with you about something? For me personally, I don't know how you feel, but frogs are not all that creepy. They're not all that scary. I don't know how you feel about them. Um, but I will say this. Frogs that would be in every room of my house would bother me. Frogs that would invade my kitchen. They would be in the cabinets. Can you imagine opening a cabinet to get a dish and frogs fall out? They'd be on your dishes. Can you imagine having to rewash all the dishes? I can tell you that if I opened the cabinet and frogs fell out on the dishes, I'd have to rewash them. Well, at least only if my wife was looking. If not, I'd just kind of... No, I'd rewash them. They'd be with you at your dinner table. You'd be eating a piece of fried chicken and a frog would hop onto your plate. They're everywhere. They'd be in your food. They'd be on your stairs. You'd be stepping on them, going up to your bedroom. They'd be in your bathroom. They'd be in the shower with you when you're trying to get clean. They'd be in your beds. They'd be in between your sheets. They'd just be everywhere. And no matter what, you couldn't get rid of them. So yes, are they scary and creepy? Not really, not to me. But would this be distressful to my life? You better believe it. And don't forget, God's got a bigger picture here. And I'm gonna keep pointing this out to you as we go through the Exodus. What is the bigger picture that God is taking care of with these plagues? He is defeating all the false gods of Egypt with these plagues. And the end result would be what? That the people of Egypt would have to admit that there is one true God and that is the Lord Yahweh. That is the bigger picture. The Egyptians, they had gods for everything. We saw last week they had, a, they had river gods. They worshiped the river. But even these river gods could not stop this plague that was coming. It's no surprise that the Egyptians also had a goddess who was the goddess of the frogs. This name of this goddess was Hekwit. 
And in hieroglyphics and in, and in ancient Egyptian culture, she is often pictured as having a frog head and sometimes even a frog body. And it was the belief of the Egyptians that this false goddess was in control of all the frogs in Egypt and the frogs themselves represented fertility in the land of Egypt. And this frog goddess was the one who was worshiped as making the child labor that a woman has a baby, making that process go as smooth as possible. So you can imagine this was a highly revered false god of Egypt. Where in the world is this goddess now? Which is the whole point. These people are praying to deities that can do nothing because they are phony. Did you also know this, that in ancient Egypt, frogs were considered a sacred animal? They were considered sacred because they represented new life and fertility, which means you were not allowed to kill them. That's a real problem when you've got hundreds of thousands of frogs invading your neighborhood. You can't do anything. You have to just live side by side. So this is a very, this is a big nuisance for the Israelites. And I, I, I find it interesting as well, maybe you saw this in the text, that the magicians and the sorcerers, they were able to reproduce this one too. Remember last week, they, able, they were able to do something and whether it was sleight of hand or dark magic or satan, whatever it was, they produced the water turning to blood. With the frogs, they also made frogs come up out of the water. Now, obviously not to the scale that God did with his plague, but the point is the same. Just like last week, they may have made some frogs come up onto the land, but they couldn't stop this plague. They certainly couldn't reverse it. So even with what the magicians did, who was proven to be all-powerful? God. Yahweh was. This will also be the last time that these magicians will be able to copy any of the plagues. We will still hear from them throughout the Exodus account, but this is the last time they're ever going to be able to do anything like this. I don't know how much time went by. I don't know how long the people had to live with these frogs, but eventually they became such a nuisance, something had to be done. I would imagine that Pharaoh had a line out of his palace a mile long of Egyptian citizens saying, Pharaoh, what are you gonna do about these frogs? And he eventually does something, and that's in verse eight. Look at it with me. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people. And I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Well, it certainly looks like here Pharaoh's having a change of heart. Here we are, two plagues in, and Pharaoh's already saying, hey, 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 Moses, my buddy, my pal. Let's talk again about, remember that conversation? Where, I'm gonna let you do it. I'm gonna, of course, we know Pharaoh is just providing lip service to Moses. Pharaoh's got a problem. He's got to fix it. He's trying to fix it in any way he knows how. And, but but he's, he doesn't have a change of heart. And we're going to see that his heart is not going to change once the problem is solved. Look at verse 9. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said, and Moses replied, it will be as you say, so that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials and your people. They will remain only in the Nile. I love this because what is Moses doing? He is reminding Pharaoh of God's bigger picture. 
Fair, I'll tell you what. I appreciate you having us back in. I will pray for you. I will ask God to take all these frogs away and, and he will do it. But know this, when he does, you will know this reality, that there is no one like our God. That's the big picture. That's the big picture. Not some phony frog goddess with a frog head and a frog body who can do nothing. But our God can't. Verse 12, after Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh. And the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields. They were piled into heaps, and the land reeked of them. So it's not like God said, hey, all you frogs, get back in the water. No, they dropped dead. Millions of frogs, all in the houses, all in the fields, all in the streets. The cleanup alone would have been horrible. And, and in that Egyptian desert heat, those things just began to stink. And it even says the whole land reeked of it. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Now, friends, there's a couple observations I'd like to make um, about these plagues. As you read on, Throughout the text, you're going to see that there is a pattern. There are similarities. And the majority of these plagues are going to play out just like this one did with the frogs. God will send a plague. It is awful for the Egyptians. Pharaoh will attempt to make some kind of concession with Moses, but it's just lip service. And then the moment that Pharaoh thinks that the problem is solved, he will harden his heart again and he will not follow through and do what he said he's gonna do. The majority of the plagues that you read about in these three chapters, they follow that same course of events, that same progress of circumstances. That's the first observation. The second observation actually is something very specific to this plague. The first two plagues made the entire country stink. Dead fish, dead frogs, millions of them. Those don't get cleaned up overnight and the whole land reeked. And the Bible makes, makes a very clear point that the whole country was, had a putrid smell to it. So even after the plague was over, there was a reminder of what just happened. The reason I point this out to you is because when you read the Bible, there's this, I find it to be a, a neat little interesting detail that may not be obvious at a first read, especially if you're reading from the NIV version of the Bible, which is my preferred version. I preach out of the NIV, the New International Version, but there's many translations of the Bible. And just so in case you don't understand how that works, the original uh, Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And so we translate from the Hebrew into English. And all that kind of translation work is a difficult work to make sure the English words make sense with what the original Hebrew. And so, and so when we're translating the text, that's why you have different translations. You want to make sure that we capture the heart of the text. And it's a pure translation. And so there's a translation thing here that in the NIV may not be completely obvious until you start comparing it to other translations and dig into the original language. And I want to show it to you here because I just find it interesting. If you were to go back a couple chapters to chapter five, you're going to read about when Moses first confronted Pharaoh the very first time. Let my people go into the wilderness so we can make sacrifices and worship the Lord. It's a three-day journey. And Pharaoh said, do you remember? You lazy Israelites, you just want a vacation. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna make your life harder. You're gonna work harder. You're, you're, gonna, you're gonna make the same amount of bricks, but I'm not gonna give you all the stuff you need. And, and, and it got so horrible for them. 
Do you remember what the Israelites said to Moses? They said, Moses, ever since you showed up and opened your big fat mouth, our lives are horrible, worse. You've made us a, 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 a terrible existence here. This is your fault. And Moses really took that to heart. It was really distressful to him. Do you remember the exact words that they said in Exodus chapter five, verse 21? The Israelites said to Moses, you have made us obnoxious in the eyes of Pharaoh, which is a fine translation. That word obnoxious is what I wanna focus on. That word obnoxious that we translate into English from the Hebrew, do you know what the Hebrew literally says? That word, you make a stink. It's a bad odor. So the English word in the NIV is obnoxious. The purest translation of that Hebrew word is to stink. You've made us had a bad odor. The ESV, the English Standard Version of the Bible, captures this a little bit better than the NIV, and I'll read it to you. It says, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. Now, the heart of this is you're making us look bad. That's the heart. You're, you're making us foul in the eyes of Pharaoh. You're giving us a bad look and a bad stink. That's, that's the, the heart of the text. The reason I pointed out to you is this. Isn't it interesting that the Israelites were afraid that Moses was gonna make them stink in the eyes of Pharaoh? Two plagues in, the whole country of Egypt stinks. And I find that quite interesting, don't you? The next plague is the plague of the gnats. This plague is interesting because Moses never announced that it was coming. This one actually breaks the pattern where Moses goes and says, let my people go or else. No, 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 no. This one, they just drop on them out of nowhere. Look at chapter eight, verse 17. They did this, and when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came on people and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. Now that sounds awful, doesn't it? Aaron goes out and smacks the ground and a poof of dust comes out and then all the dust in Egypt turned to gnats. Gnats is about the closest we can figure out what bug it was. There's some other ideas. It could have been lice. It could have been some form of mosquito, but gnat is a good understanding. Just gnats everywhere. I can't even begin to wonder just how awful it would be to have gnats. Have you ever ridden your bike or walked down one of the paths and walked through a little cloud of gnats? You can't get rid of them. What is up with those things? If you try to swoosh them away from and they just stay right with you. Can you imagine everywhere you walk, it's that? How annoying. This would be a very distressful thing that people would have to live with. And then once again, the false gods of Egypt were powerless to stop this. Next came what? The plague of the flies. And now with the flies, we are moving out of what is distressful and we're moving into plagues that are more painful and costly. This fourth plague of the flies, if you look at the text, it starts just like the first plague down on the shores of the Nile River. Do you remember the first plague? God told Moses, Pharaoh's on his way out to the water, down to the river, go out there and confront him. Same thing with the fourth. Pharaoh's on his way down to the water, go out there and confront him. And that's exactly what, what Moses did. He warns Pharaoh, if you do not let the people go, then the Lord is gonna send flies onto the land and it will be awful for you. But here's something very interesting. There is a distinction that starts to be made when you get to the fourth plague. And here's this distinction. It's in verse 22 of chapter eight. 
But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign will occur tomorrow. And with that, the very next day, the flies came. A little interesting observation. We're never told that the gnats of the, plague th- of the third plague went away. Like the frogs, when God just all caused all the frogs to die, we never read that God caused all the gnats to die. So this plague of the flies is on top of the plague of the gnats. So we've got a very serious issue happening here. But the, the detail that's important is that God at this moment makes a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. Now the Israelites had all huddled together in what is known as the land of Goshen. That's where they lived. So think of it just like if you're looking at a satellite map, you see the whole land of Egypt, there's a small little pocket with a circle around it. That's where the Israelites lived. And so when the flies came, it was like an invisible barrier, a force field all around where the Israelites lived and the flies could not inflict their bites or their nuisance on the Israelites. And let me tell you something, there is a wonderful image that comes with this reality of plague number four. It's a reminder of what? That God cares for us, he knows who we are, and he has the absolute sovereign power to say, I will protect you from this. And I think about our church, I think about Christians today, those of us who have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. God knows who you are, he knows your name, he knows what you're going through, he has the power to limit He has the power to hold back. And this is a great example of this in the Bible. I'm gonna inflict this on you, but my people, they've had enough. And I will protect them. They are not gonna endure this. The next plague is the plague on the livestock. Again, this is a painful, costly plague. Look at chapter nine, verse two. If you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them back, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the field, on your horses, donkeys, and camels, and on your cattle, sheep, and goats. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of of Egypt, so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. So again, this is another plague and the announcement, Israel's gonna be protected from this. The very next day, dead animals, everywhere. Throughout the entire country, dead animals everywhere. And I can tell you, the loss of all these animals would have been catastrophic to the Egyptians. Absolutely catastrophic. It would have hindered the food supply. It would have hindered the livelihood of all these people. It would have been a devastating blow to the Egyptians. But the Israelites were spared from that. Not only that, think about this. The stench alone from all of these animals dying all at once in that hot Egyptian sun. The the stench of this plague would have been horrendous and the cleanup alone would have been exhausting. Can you imagine thousands upon thousands of cows and bulls and horses and donkeys all dying at once and you gotta figure out what to do with them? That cleanup doesn't happen overnight. You've got dead fish, you've got dead frogs, you're dealing with that, the horribleness of that, and now you've got all these animals. It would be awful. And where were the Egyptian gods in all of this? Many of the Egyptian gods are depicted as livestock, as animals. Hathor was the name of the cow-headed goddess 
that many of the Egyptians loved and worshiped in this day. Where is this cow goddess in the time of the distress of the Egyptians? Nowhere to be found. And the people are realizing that. There was uh, the bull was highly regarded in Egyptian culture. The bull. Now you might remember that when, if you've read the story of Head, we'll get to that eventually, but um, when the Egyptians leave and they get to Mount Sinai and Moses is up on the mountain and the people get impatient waiting on him to come down, what do they do? They gather up all their gold, they melt it down and they create a golden image of a calf and they start to worship it. Where did they learn this atrocious behavior? The Egyptians. They, they learn it from the Egyptians. They're copying what they saw. We'll get to that down the road. It's, it's a remarkable part of their story. But they revered these animals and they worshiped them and, and the Israelites even struggle with this. And again, let me just, a good point to remind you. The Exodus isn't so much about getting the Israelites out of Egypt. It's got a lot more to do with getting Egypt out of the Israelites. And they will struggle with this stuff for years. At one of the temples that we know about in ancient Egypt, there was a temple to a bull god, and they actually, in this temple, would keep a live bull in the temple. And whatever bull was in the temple, that bull, it was the belief that they were the incarnation of the false god Apis. Let me tell you, Apis could not save one animal that dropped dead in those fields on that day. And what's God's picture, bigger picture? Then you will know, then you will know then you will know that I am the Lord and there is no other. The next plague was the plague of boils. And yet again, another painful, costly plague that affected all the Egyptians. Look at verse eight of chapter nine. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from a furnace and have Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt and festering boils will break out on the people and animals throughout the land. So are you seeing now how the plagues are getting worse and worse and worse and the compounding effects of these plans are becoming more devastating and, and devastating? There wasn't one Egyptian that was spared from having these sores break out all over their bodies. So here's how it played out. Moses and Aaron go into Pharaoh and you've gotta believe that Pharaoh does not like it when Moses and Aaron walk through his door. And maybe, I'm just interpreting a little bit, maybe Moses has a little satchel that he has gathered some of this soot from his fireplace at home. And he says, Pharaoh, you gotta let my people go. I'm not gonna do it. Oh, well, let me show you something. A handful of soot, like LeBron James, And all of that covers the land and these people break out into these horrible, horrible sores. Where were the magicians? You know what, the Bible says they didn't even show up to work that day because they were covered in sores so badly. And why in the world would they ever reproduce a miracle that would make life worse? Let's make more sores, we could do this too. No, they didn't do it. The Egyptians looked to their false gods for healing. This included the false gods of Amon-Roth, Theoth, Infotep, and Sekhmet. These were the gods they prayed to for healthy bodies. Where were these false gods when their bodies were falling apart? Nowhere to be found. 
We move into the next three plagues, and this is where they, they move from costly and painful to now dangerous and destructive. We've got the, the plague of the hail and the locusts and the darkness. And Moses, again, will go and confront Pharaoh. Chapter 9, verse 14. Let my people go, Moses says to him, verse 14, or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people so you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off of the earth. Have you ever said something to somebody? I'm gonna hit you so hard, I'm gonna knock your head right off this earth. That's biblical, that will preach. You know, you're showing it right there. That's straight from the Bible. Because God said it, I'll knock you out, I'll knock you out. That's what God's saying. You could, if I wasn't holding back, you could not stand up to it. Believe me, you are seeing a limited God here. I am pulling my punches. That's what is being admitted to here. If I wanted to, I'd wipe you off the earth. The plague of hail was an awful, awful plague that came on. It was a hailstorm. The Bible says the Egyptians had never seen before. Now, I've been caught in hail before. Have you? Have you been driving and then you get caught in a storm? There's two times that I can remember being caught in hail. And one of those was so severe. There is no sound like hail hitting your car on the planet. I thought the hail was gonna tear my car in half. That's how loud it was. But even that was nowhere near this hailstorm. Nowhere near. Look at verse 18, it says, therefore at this time tomorrow I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded till now. And here's an interesting transition in scripture. There are people in Egypt that are starting to believe Moses. And the Bible says when they heard Moses say this thing, they ran home and they tried to sure up their houses, bring whatever animals they had left inside, button down, batten down the hatches and try to protect themselves. So there is a transition starting to take place. Maybe Moses is telling the truth. Now you're gonna see this later in the text that by the time the Israelites leave, um, the people of Egypt are like, what would you like? Would you like all my gold, all my silver, all my treasures? Yes, would you like my cart? I don't have a horse anymore, you can have it, take it with you. you know, there was this real transition among the Egyptians of like, yeah, what do you want? You can have it, just get out of here. They're starting to believe as well. They're starting to kind of make some connections here. Maybe there is one true God and maybe you guys are correct. Next came the plague of the locust, chapter 10, verse four. Again, if you refuse to let them go, I will bring locusts into your country tomorrow. They will cover the face of the ground so that it cannot see cannot be seen. They will devour what little you have left after the hail, including every tree that is growing in your fields. They will fill your houses and of your officials and all the Egyptians, something neither you, you, neither your parents nor your ancestors have ever seen from the day they settled in this land to now. Then Moses turned and left Pharaoh. Pharaoh's officials said to him, how long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go. For, in other words, what I think they're saying is, Pharaoh, for crying out loud, open your eyes. Look what's happening. And they say this very key verse. We read it already. We'll read it again. Do you not yet realize that Egypt is ruined? I would have loved to have seen a satellite picture of Egypt during the plagues. Wouldn't that have been something to see? 
Here you have devastation all over, but you've got this little pocket of the Israelites who are like, you know, just chilling out. So it's getting worse and worse for the Egyptians. With this plague and others, God is humiliating the false gods and all the beliefs of the people. The Egyptians, back in this time, they depended on a false god named Men, who they called the patron of the crops. There was another goddess named Isis, who they saw as the god who made sure that they had flax for their clothes. So they had gods for everything. Nepri was the god of the grains, Anubis was the guardian of the fields, and Shinham was the protector of all the pest. All of these so-called gods failed miserably. So the hail destroyed just about everything. The locusts came back and ate up whatever good was left. They're ruined. And then there was the plague of the darkness. Look at verse 22 of chapter 10. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days, yet all the Israelites had light on in the places where they lived. Three days of complete darkness. Nothing shouts trouble like darkness. This kind of darkness, at least the impression we get, is not like nighttime darkness. You know at nighttime you got the moon, You've got some reflective properties. You can kind of navigate sometimes at night even because there's other light sources. I don't get the impression there was any moonlight coming through. I believe this was a darkness. I believe there was a darkness that was so thick you couldn't even see the hand in front of your face. Have you ever been deep into a cave and there is no source of light at all? That kind of darkness. Three days. I'm gonna make an assumption here. I don't know for sure. But the way it talks about for three days nobody could see each other and they could not go anywhere makes me think that it was so dark, the darkness was so heavy that not even the flicker of a lamp or a campfire could penetrate this darkness. How scary would that be? Come on, George, get that fire started. I'm trying. Nothing. Devastating darkness. Again, I'd love to have a satellite picture of this day. Complete darkness over the land. But there's this little circle of Israel's. They're in the sunshine. They're kicking it back. They're taking selfies of one another. Looking at this thing around them. Pass me that Diet Coke. This is, look at this. I don't know if they were quite like that. (laughs) Complete darkness. But the Israelites were in the light. Oh, there's something I could spiritualize a lot there. This darkness would have been terrifying, especially when their main God that they worshiped was the sun God. If you were to look at anything from ancient Egypt, they worshiped the sun. There was a false God, Ray, the biggest of all of Egyptians' gods. He was the sun God. He is worshiped as the creator of the universe. Where is the sun God when you have three days of complete darkness? I wonder how many wondered about that. No help would come. Verse 27, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he was not willing to let them go. And Pharaoh said to Moses, get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Just as you say, Moses replied, I will never appear before you again. As if Moses wanted to. 
And with that, that's these nine plagues that fell upon Egypt. It ruined everything and everyone could see it except Pharaoh. Now friends, there's plenty more that we could say about this and like with a lot of times, I say that we're leaving a lot of meat left on that bone. This is true. And I'm gonna trust that you're gonna eat some of that meat and digest it as you read and study and you're with your life groups this week. But there is a lot of meat left on this bone of these three chapters. But there are a number of takeaways from these first nine plagues. And I wanna share just two of them with you before we're done briefly of what hits me, what impacts me greatly as I study about these first nine plagues. And the first one is this. Live your life, your Christian life, with no compromise. Live your Christian life with no compromise. And the reason why that's a takeaway for me is because, and you'll see this when you go back and read it on your own, we didn't touch on it a whole lot here, but there were many times throughout these nine plagues, these first nine plagues, that Pharaoh tried to make concessions and compromises with Moses. The first one sounded like this. All right, Moses, I'll let you go worship but you can't leave Egypt. Remember, Moses wanted to take him off in the wilderness, a three-day journey. And Pharaoh was like, I'll let you do your sacrifice and your worship, but you can't, leave, you can't leave the country. And Moses said, no, we do what God says or nothing. Later, Pharaoh will say, say, you know what? Okay, I'll let you go after another plague. I'll let you go. Just don't go too far. It's like when you're a parent and you say, all right, stay where I can see you. It was one of the, and Moses was like, no. We're gonna do what God says or nothing at all. Later on, Pharaoh will come to Moses and he said, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll let you go, take your trip, but only the men, the women and the children, they gotta stay behind. And Pharaoh goes, no, we're not gonna compromise. It's all of what God wants or nothing. Later on, Pharaoh will say, okay, I'll tell you what. You can take the men, you can take the women, you can take, you can take your stupid little trip, but you gotta leave all your animals. And Moses is like, no, no. It's everything that God says or it's nothing at all. Moses has reached a point in his walk with God where he has, he has become, at this point anyway, a, a man who has firmly planted his feet in the ground. No. Now, Moses isn't perfect and he'll definitely make mistakes moving forward. But in this moment, Moses is like, no. It's all or nothing no compromises. I'm not taking a partial victory. It's all of us. It's everything. We're leaving Egypt. It's going to be just like God says, or it's nothing at all, or you'll continue to be pounded until we get our way. I'll tell you, that's a long way from where Moses started, isn't it? Moses started as a guy saying, who wanted to compromise everything. Oh, can my brother go with me? Maybe you got the wrong guy. I don't talk too good, blah, blah, blah. To now, no. Staring down the most powerful man in the world. No, no compromise. Friends, that does something for me. I don't know what it does for you, but it, it's, it gives me at least kind of walking out, it's going, there can be, there, you can live your life with this all in mentality and it can be lived all in for God and you don't have to compromise a thing. And do you see what happened? Every time Moses would not compromise, another plague would come, but who was protected? The Israelites. The Israelites didn't compromise and God put a little bubble around him. It's like, you're my people. I got you. You stand up for what is right. So for me, there's, there's something there that challenges me. No compromise. Here, here's the second takeaway for me anyway. And this takeaway actually comes in the form of a warning 
and it's this, to live the Christian life with no competition. To live the Christian life with no competition. These plagues, these nine plagues, they absolutely serve as a warning for those who refuse to believe. They should serve as a warning for those who refuse to believe that there is one God and there is no other, that there is a judgment coming, there is a day of reckoning, it is a warning to unbelievers. But to me and to many of you who are believers, believers who get tempted to love and serve and trust a lot of things other than God, it's a, it's a warning to me and you to live your life with no competition. Friends, I'm gonna tell you, this, this world is full of competition. That little phone in your pocket is competition with God. The money in your bank account is competition with God. Can be. Your job can be a competition with God. I mean, I could list off a hundred things. There are things in this world that are competing for your allegiance. There are things in this world that the devil would like for you to turn to as your source of strength away from God. The devil wants you to trust your bank account more than God. The devil wants you to trust your relationships more than God. The devil wants you to trust your boss more than trusting God. The devil wants you to trust a lot of things more than God. And I walk away from these nine plagues where he is the Lord and there is no other that I can live my life without competition. The Lord stands high above everything else. Everything else is false, just like all these false gods. So friends, I hope that's an encouragement to you. No compromising, no competition. The Lord's gonna walk right there with you. We can trust the Lord because he is God and there is no other. Let me pray for you. Lord, as always, I just thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for what it teaches us. I thank you, Lord, for the truth that it delivers. And I would just pray, God, today that you would give us all ears to hear what your word is saying today. Lord, we do live in a world that wants us to compromise our values and convictions and compromise the truth. And Lord, we as a church family declare today, we're not gonna do it. With all the pressures that are out there to conform, we won't do it. Lord, you've created a standard, a desire for your holy people to live. And Lord, to the best of our ability, that's exactly how we wanna live. And we pray, Lord, that as we strive out to live uh, an all-in, no-compromise life for you, Lord, we do pray, know that no matter what we endure, you are there with us. And whether you choose to protect us or let us endure hardship, you're right there with us. No-compromise life, Lord, we, we would pray that you'd help us walk that road. And Lord, with all the stuff out there today that competes and pulls and wants to draw us away, Lord, may we stand firm and say, no, there is one true God in this land and he is Yahweh and he is my God. There are no other gods before him. All other gods are false. There is no competition. There's nothing in this world I trust more than my Savior. Oh, Lord, I pray you help us take those kind of stands and to be firm. And Lord, as we close here, we just thank you so much for loving us the way you do. Sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Oh, Lord, you are worthy to be eternally praised for that. And we will. So thank you, Lord, for everything. In Jesus' name.